0: Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. It's the first pod of pre-season. A chance to ask Barry a bleep test number of blindingly obvious questions until he's hurling up in the corner. It's the only way to get him ready for the season. There are some interesting transfers to cover. Those that have happened. Havertz, Mount, Shoboslai. Those that nearly have. Declan Rice. And those that might not at all. Insert obligatory Harry Kane bit in there. Some new managers like Poch and Ange have said some things. And then we'll christen a new golden generation of England players winning the Euros. Which means, of course, we'll win the Euros. Also today, Kylian Mbappé spitting PSG truth bombs out loud, the Saudis buying everyone, not just old people, and hopefully enough time to ask Wilson if Ben folks should come in for Old Trafford. All that, some shocking Sean Dyche news, plus your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Barry Glendening, welcome. Hello, Max. Hello, Lars Hivertsen. Hi, Max. And hello, Jonathan Wilson.
1: Morning, how are
0: you doing? I'm all right, thanks for asking. I'm trying to work out the best way to structure this kind of mid-transfer window, everything we've missed, pods. And I thought we'd start with the most expensive Premier League transfer so far and then kind of there'll be a domino effect and it hopefully will lead us down everything. And if we reach a cul-de-sac, we'll just go back to the the next most expensive and keep doing that um, until we end up with the ashes, which is what we really want to talk about um, and what Barry does in the summer. So look, the first one is Kai Havertz, Chelsea to Arsenal, 65 million. Lars, where's he going to fit
2: What I'm hoping this is, is uh, Edu and Arteta looking at Havertz at Chelsea and realizing here's a kid who's very, very talented, who's been brought into a club, who, whether they don't know how to use him or they've had to use him in different roles, I mean, it's it's a little bit circumstantial, but certainly a guy who was a number eight, kind of, or a bit of a number 10, like a very sort of forward-thinking midfielder at Leverkusen he has been brought in and hardly ever played or not that often play that position. At Chelsea very often stuck up front. doesn't really seem happy there. And they've thought, all right, he's not really performing to his potential where he is, but maybe we could buy him, and stick him into a position that suits him a little bit better and we will get much more out of him. So I'm kind of hoping I, I whether this happens or not, I don't know, but I'm hoping we'll have like a, a midfield three where you have Declan Rice sort of at the base and then Martin Odegaard sort of flitting around, pulling the strings and, and leaving uh, Kai Havertz to do his sort of box-to-box, number 10-ish, let's get forward type of thing. It's a little bit light, maybe, but perhaps actually puts a shift in. So I think this could work. I'm I'm a little bit like, you know, there's a limit to how excited I can get on Arsenal's behalf, obviously. But the football lover in me thinks this could be kind of fun. I'm hoping this is what they do.
1: Yeah, I mean, whether they play that midfield in big games or not, I'm not sure. I think, I think that is a little bit lightweight. But you can play that three against weaker sides where you expect to dominate possession, and you have the option of you know if Odegaard is tired or injured, you can play Havertz effectively in his role. So it, yeah, they've strengthened that midfield and give themselves an extra option. I think it makes makes a lot of sense. I and, and I guess if they they do have injuries in the forward line, he he can fill in there. You know he's 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 not terrible there. He's he's won the Champions League playing there. I know it hasn't really worked for him at Chelsea, but I do wonder whether if Chelsea hadn't just brought in 50 players, whether they really would be trying to push him out or whether this and you know, would get on to Mason Mount, he's collateral damage in the the Boley trolley dash.
0: And Declan Rice coming in as well, although it hasn't officially happened yet, Barry. Does that excite you?
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, it will almost certainly happen now in the interim period between us recording this podcast and it being edited down and, and put out <laughs> into the world because that's how things tend to happen. Uh, with us. Uh I I see Havertz playing sort of in the, in that number 8 role alongside Martin Odegaard and Declan Rice at, behind them in front of the the back four. I'm I'm one of those people who's not massively convinced yet by Declan Rice. I I think he's a terrific player and I suppose you're worth whatever anyone is willing to pay for you. But I I do think that 105 million that number that's been bandied about is is rather massive. I hope he does well at Arsenal, but um, the jury is still out as far as I am concerned.
0: And actually, if he if he's playing behind those two, lads, that's because he's quite attacking Declan Rice. And if He's on a sort of lung-busting box-to-box and Havertz and Odegaard are also up there. I don't know. There could be some holes behind them.
2: Could he be, though, is my question. Uh, the, there is the thing with Declan Rice the last couple of years is that he seems to want to make himself into more of a box-to-box more number eight. I'm not not convinced i mean where i'm sat deciding that i know better for declan rice what he should be on doing on a football field i mean i know that sounds absurd but uh, i i kind of like i there's just such a real shortage of of top top class number sixes and he has the skill set to do that so i'm not sure why you would want to try to be a number 8 which there seems to me to be more of out there on the marketplace anyway he's such a great fit for arsenal because he comes in and You could either use him, like I want to see him be used as as an upgrade on on Thomas Partey, or you can see him coming in and taking the the spot that Granit has had as the sort of slightly muscular, get forward, get into the box type of guy. So I think now that he's going to Arsenal, you know, even though there was interest from City, and it's funny, because when City gets involved in something, we just kind of always assume they'll throw enough money at it, and that's where they'll go, but at City... There are places he could fill, but it's not like totally obvious where he goes into the starting lineup. At Arsenal, they've got not one, but two positions. Like Arsenal's problem is there should be two Declan Rice's ideally, because there are two spots in their lineup as of last year where he obviously fits in and obviously would do a job.
0: And also when... um when City get interested, you suddenly go, ah, maybe he is really good.
2: Now, now, now I've worked.
0: Now now I realise quite how good I don't, he is. I don't I, know I,
3: if you saw um, Irish News on, I think it was an RTE, did a story about Rice's imminent transfer to Arsenal. And in the footage they used, it was him almost exclusively wearing the colours of West Ham or the colours of <laughs> the Republic of Ireland. I don't know if that was just deliberate trolling or a rights issue, but it was quite amusing.
0: Um, uh, Zach has gone, which is a bit of a shame, I guess, for the Premier League because it was a fun red card at a silly time and a, a banger from outside the box. And, of course, he lost Arsenal, the Premier League title, by getting angry against Liverpool, didn't he? Uh, that time, if I remember last season well enough. Mentioning Havertz brings us to Chelsea, who've done a lot of selling, Wilson. you know, Havertz, Mount, Kovacic, Koulibaly, Mendy, Loftus-Cheek, bit a Are they selling
1: well? So yeah, I mean a lot of their sales are uh for extraordinary sums and I think they've done very well. Yeah, you you've really got to praise their for selling people um, for the selling they're doing.
2: <laughs> I wonder if that's their job title, the <laughs> the director of selling people.
1: Who yeah, whoever's forged that link with Saudi Arabia, yeah, hats off to them. Kudubali, Mendi, Hizile, the Mendy, and his one who's gone to Saudi Arabia. Or in Golo country, sorry, not in country. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so the three of them, yeah, to to get, was it 80, 90 million for those three between them? Yeah, that, that eases those FFP issues, and that's, uh, that's a real stroke of luck for them, and um, well, yeah, well Well done to for selling people. Uh, Mason Mount is the one I think is a little bit sad, that, yeah, he he was sort of a, the shining light of their academy, and, they, you know, under Abramovich, they did put money into the academy, and he, well, we thought we'd sort of seen the fruits of that with Samori and him and Tammy Abraham, um, and I, I guess Rhys James is still at the club. But it does feel that that project actually worked, and it's just been obliterated as part of the the, you know, the Abramovich departure. As I understand it, that he, he he had been offered a sum under the Abramovich regime. The sum he was being offered under Bowley was less, but with bonuses. And you can understand why he was frustrated by that and why he, he was reluctant to sign. I like
0: the idea of Todd Bowley doing it, and here's a Bowley bonus, and it's like a game show, and he's in like a
1: spangly jacket. Going I, think and... if he, I think he'd be so much better at that than running a football club.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but I think he's a really good signing for Manchester United. I think, you know, the, the football that Ten Hag wants to play, it's good for United, and it, it should be good for, for Mason Mount's development because he had stalled that last season it wasn't working for him so i i look forward to seeing him playing in a in a more ajax style manchester united and hopefully that'll be good for him and good for england
0: does he play with Erickson or instead of Lars?
2: i think that also depend on the occasion a little bit i think there there can be calls for i mean we've seen a few times this year uh, ten hag moving bruno fernandes into sort of a mot- notional wide role of course he's he's going to wander wherever you stick him on the team sheet I think he also takes a tremendous amount of boxes for that United midfield. Like Wilson says, he seems to have the technical skill set and the sort of uh, under, spatial understanding and all that to, to play the sort of IX type of football. He's good at you know keeping the ball moving and playing little smart passes. But I mean, also, if you look at what United have, they they do have a brilliant you know defensive midfielder in Casemiro, who's not young, uh, who maybe needs some fresh legs next to him to cover cover some extra space. And they've got Bruno Fernandes, who's going to play a lot of games as a number 10, probably, uh, whatever position. He's going to play the Bruno Fernandes position. You you stick him in the team sheet and he does his thing. And and you probably want someone, again, who covers ground and has a high level of tactical understanding to to maybe prop up some, yeah, fill some spaces left by him. And and I think Mason Mount can do a lot of these things. I think if you seen some sort of underwhelmed reactions from man united fans on the internet but i think if you make a checklist of what that midfield really needs and you need to find someone who does all those things and also contributes in attacking uh sense and is youngish and is british like this is, yeah was well, was really no one else is there i mean in the british thing might not be mandatory for this exercise but even so i think he takes a lot of boxes for them maybe in a non-showy way, but I think he's going to make that midfield a lot better.
0: Um, just before we move on from Chelsea, um, Lars, have the, have the buying people, <laughs> who I, may well be similar to the selling people, but may <laughs> maybe a completely different group, and uh, in, in Cuckoo, which we knew about, Nicholas Jackson and Diego Moreira, have, are they doing a good job at Chelsea?
2: So far in the sort of bowling ball revolution, the issue hasn't been so much the identity of the people coming in, it's the how it all fits together. And I feel like that's kind of still the case a little bit. Of course, signing in Kunku is fantastic. You know, he's a brilliant player. But he is yet another sort of vaguely attacking dude who likes to play off a, a big striker who they, well, they I guess they have Lukaku still, technically. Still don't see exactly where it all fits, but of course they are having a clear out. Uh, so when the dust settles, I'm sure the squad will make more sense. I, I kind of like it. Still on the fence about whether it all fits together and if Pochettino can make sense of it, but a lot of talent and exciting stuff in that squad.
3: Pochettino has sort of, in his opening press conference, said more or less intimated the slate is clean for Romelu Lukaku if he wants to come back, and I expect him back on the first day of preseason, but the signs are he's he's not going to be there. You know, I think Juve are interested in in taking him. Yeah, Juve and Inter, I think.
0: So they still need a centre
1: forward, Wilson. Uh,
0: yeah. Um, I mean, could I mean, if they got
1: someone like Kai Havertz, he could sort of <laughs> float around.
2: <in>
1: that <laughs> <way>. <laughs> I mean, I guess Nkunku could play there, but he, you know, he definitely. What we've seen of him he's better coming in from wide, uh, which you know, I think is true. A lot of a lot of the forward players have got that they they you know they they come from wide areas. So yeah, they they. I don't, it's really difficult with Chelsea because the squad's so big. I'm sort of mentally going through it. But they, don't, but they don't have any centre forwards, do they? There's nobody I've forgotten.
2: Armando Broja might be fit and healthy again. He's quite a good player,
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we've seen enough of him to be convinced that, that, that he's necessarily the long-term future.
2: Is, is Pierre Emerick Aubameyang technically still there? I think. I mean, just speaking about people who are unconvinced about being the future.
1: Well, <laughs> yeah, I and mean, the other thing. Um, that I think was interesting, was was it yesterday that uh, Pochettino had stopped Matson leaving? So you sort of think well, they had him and they had Colwell. Why on earth do they sign Kukarea? Why do they get a player who's worse than either of those two for sixty odd million, who doesn't yeah, you know, he doesn't do either of those jobs anywhere near as well? It seems very odd. But I I'm glad that he's getting his chance because everything I've heard of him from people at Chelsea is that he's he's very talented, left back.
0: To Manchester United, David Haye is gone. Barry, uh, twelve years at the club, more clean sheets than Peter Schmeichel. Um, although I think he played about a thousand times more than Peter Schmeichel. Is he a? He leg- played five hundred
3: and forty-five
0: times, Max, and he had one hundred and ninety clean sheets. Ah, um, and what do you make of his legacy? I mean, that's a long time to be anywhere, isn't it?
3: Yeah, and and for, there were times when it looked like he was. I think every season he was about to sign for Real Madrid for quite a few years. You know, we've discussed before on this podcast that he's not the kind of goalkeeper Eric Ten Hag wants in a team playing to the Eric Ten Hag blueprint. So it's no great surprise he's going. Manchester United don't seem to have handled his exit particularly well, but, you know, it's a pretty cutthroat, ruthless business, we know all that. He was Player of the Year at United four times, Uh, won the League FA Cup, Europa League, and a couple of League Cups, I think. Great servant for them, but his game has conspicuously got worse in in the past few seasons, and it looked like he would have been happy enough to, to stay there as reserve keeper, but He's gone now, and and I'm sure Manchester United fans will wish him all the very
0: best. Um, it looks, Lars, like Ananas coming in from AC Milan. Now, I'm judging him on how well he played in the second leg for Ajax against Tottenham in 2019 and how well he played in the Champions League final. And he has improved a lot. I mean, he has probably played some other football matches in that time as well. But like, he's so... I mean, he obviously played with Ten Hag at Ajax. He's great with his feet. It seems like it could... I mean, he's saying it's transformative too much. Or not.
2: You joke that he's played a few football matches, but he's actually played fewer than you'd think because, of course, he had that very unfortunate uh, ban because he very accidentally, and, and I'm not actually being, you know, sarky, I think everyone's satisfied that it was a complete accident, but he, he took some some pills that belonged to, to his spouse, I believe, and they, they were not the pills he thought he was taking and they had something in them that was on the banned substances list. And he you Do make it sound like a beanstalk, and he just if, grew like 200 feet. Which yeah. would
0: be an unfair advantage to a goalkeeper? Wouldn't yeah, it? for sure. No, but beams. would
1: it? I, I, I think he'd be vulnerable to to low shots at the near
0: post. Distance.
1: Do you think he'd yeah. get beaten a lot? He's, he's not getting. He'd have that like space for his leg. I mean, depending what the proportions were, if he had normal sized legs and a huge torso, that's true. Maybe, but yeah,
0: he'd have to stay upright, wouldn't it? He'd just be flopping over all the time.
1: It's a terrible yeah, sign. could covered in
0: leaves. He <laughs> could also be covered in leaves. <laughs> yeah. Is he evergreen or deciduous? Because that makes a big difference in the seasons, doesn't it? But beyond all that, let's say he hasn't turned into a tree. Like, hypothetically, he's not a tree. Is it transformative?
2: There's still a tiny part of me that thinks, you know, with all of Man United's resources are they still just like calling people who Eric kind of knows from Holland like is this the, the transfer strategy still but uh, all flip and see aside no, they, they they need a goalkeeper who can who can play with his feet Onana's very good at that he's good at these sort of um, throws as well like he's starting getting the ball out quickly in that sense and also you know they 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 improved a lot last year i thought or improved significantly but because they weren't able to build from the back, there were a lot of games that were still a bit more chaotic than you ideally want. Uh, you know, you want to be able to control the game a bit more. You want to have a tidier possession game. You want to build up better. You just kind of weren't able to do that. They had to go along quite a lot because you just had a goalkeeper who, who can't do it reliably. And and adding a goalkeeper, yeah, I think you will really change the, the the sort of whole thing about what they can what could, what they can do and how he can build the team.
1: So on oh, no, no, no. He, he did walk out of the Cameroon squad at the at the World Cup, in in the in the Roy Keane style. Basically, he wanted to play it from the back more, and Vigerber Song, the coach, sort of said, "No, we want we want you to stay on your line." Um, so before the game in Serbia, he 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 stopped off, uh, and it was never clear whether he he'd walked out. But again, much like Keane, whether he'd walked out or whether he'd been expelled from the squad. Well,
0: it's, so, it's a about brought in two lumberjacks and an arm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I upsetting. mean, I, I, you know, I don't want to joke about this, but, but kind of illegal logging in Cameroon is a major issue. So.
0: <laughs> right, okay. We're all here to learn, aren't we? Um, back to most expensive signings. Dominic Schauser, 60 million Leipzig to Liverpool. He's the Hungary captain. If only someone here knew about Hungarian football. I presume he's too current for you, Wilson, isn't he? Yeah, action. never heard of him. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, no,
1: he, you know, he's he. It, this this wave of of Hungarian talent that yeah you know, they've started qualifying for tournaments again after uh what, so the year twenty sixteen was the first time we've been at a tournament since eighty six I think is right so he you know he's part of that generation that that Viktor Orbán for all his many 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 faults you know he has given tax breaks to encourage investment in academies and stadiums and Hungarian football is slowly picking up. And uh, Sobosla is, is the sort of the shining light of that. So I think he's a really good signing. He's used to that hard pressing football. Technically, he's very, very good. Um,
0: and he plays where? Is he in the front three or is he behind that? No, he'd, he'd, be, as well?
1: he'd be an attacking midfielder rather right. than uh, I mean, I'm sure he could play wide if he wanted him to, but yeah, he, he, I, I would assume they see him as an attacking midfielder. But as part of you know, the overhaul of that midfield has been quite significant now, uh, they've really sort of lowered the, the age profile of it. So McAllister's twenty four, subslice twenty two. Uh, and if you think people like Kev Bajetic, Curtis uh, Badetic, Jones, and, Curtis Badetic, Jones yeah. and um Harvey Elliott. So suddenly, you know, I it looks like Fabinho has been slowly edged towards the exit or, or and or Henderson. I Henderson, I would imagine, will stay on in, in a sort of pastoral role. But but yeah, I, I think it was obvious last season the midfield had got old and they needed to rejuvenate it. and and I McAllister a, a very good way of doing that. So what what what's Liverpool's sort of
3: first choice midfield so for for next season how what's it looking like
1: My guess would be Henderson at the base which I would guess is non ideal and they'd rather have a Fabinho fit again plus McAllister and obviously I would assume would be the three but I I mean whether they even think in terms of first choices these days I'm I'm not sure but but that that would look the sort of uh, the naturally strongest to me but yeah, Bajic was so good, and it, it, for at least for for a while, for an eighteen-year-old, I think they, they can be quite excited about the possibility of him coming in at the base of that. And um, your yeah, Curtis Jones obviously had a great Euros for England, so under uh, twenty-one Euros.
2: So, I feel like a caveat is, as as Wilson's touched on, is that Shawcrossley is quite uh, versatile. You can use him in a number of positions, so it could be one of those things that just kind of comes together, and club will see how it works out, and bloody bloody blah. But I also wonder if this could be an indication that they're going to continue with the Trent Alexander-Arnold stepping into midfield thing. Because if they were going to have a midfield three, even assuming Fabinho is kind of back to being good Fabinho, him anchoring McAllister and Soberslay is still very sort of, yikes, that's quite forward-thinking. Soberslay is an attacking player.
1: I don't know. McAllister can play play a bit deeper. I think think one of the great things about McAllister is his versatility. There's times at the World Cup when he was playing not necessarily the deepest one because I guess Enzo Fernandez was there if, if Paredes wasn't, but he, yeah, I, I don't think he, I don't think he's an attacking attacking midfielder. I think he's a, he's on the attacking side of a sort of first time. But I
2: would still, if again assuming they're going to do a sort of normal four three three, and one the right sided midfielder needs to cover for Trent Alexander Arnold a lot because he's running up and down, and I would still expect them to go for more of a water carrier, let's run around a lot type of guy than either McAllister or Soboslai. So it kind of suggests to me that we will see more of the Trent moving into midfield, uh, maybe next to whoever's the deepest midfielder, and having them two in that area when they have possession will kind of free up McAllister and Soboslai to be more more attacking. That kind of makes more sense in my head.
0: That finally gives us a chance to to discuss Trent Alexander-Arnold at length, because it's something that, yeah, we've, we haven't touched that we've not on been able to do. Anymore, yes. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that'll do for part one. Uh, back in a tick. Uh, Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Um, So on the 26th of September, Barry, uh, we're doing an online uh, Promote the Guardian Football Weekly book live show with uh, Wilson, hosted by Robin Cowan. She will be asking the questions, and you can go online and buy the book, and then watch us talk about the book and then receive the book and then enjoy the book uh, by simply going to theguardian.com slash guardian live and then scrolling down to our bit. You, I mean, you can watch an online stream of Lenny Henry and Ramesh Ranganathan if you want. I suspect it'll be quite entertaining. Um, but then please buy our book. Do you have anything to say about it, Barry?
3: Um, I suspect that discussion will be involve a lot of bickering about who did what, who did the most work, who did the least um, those uh, aren't really points of contention,
2: though, <laughs> <are they>? <laughs> <laughs> and so it starts. <laughs> um, I think I'm captain of Team Least.
0: Yeah, that's true, Lars. But, but you weren't on the you know the official editorial team. Of
3: I'm which... just saying. <laughs> I'm I'm looking forward to a uh, Paxman esque uh, or Burley esque style grilling at the hands of of Cowan so yeah it should be fun uh yeah so uh, go to the guardian guardianlive if you want to watch that
0: and we uh we are going to it actually goes yes, goes to
1: print it goes to print today does it god, enough. god i so have i haven't read through it has does anyone checked it no 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 it's um... all right so, <laughs> just just, just cross our fingers hoping for the best
0: <laughs> anyway, point out the typos we quite a fun part of the whole experience um and That's we are going to a word for it yeah <laughs> we are <laughs> we are going to tour uh, the UK and Ireland in November and uh, we have big plans for the following year as well hopefully um next most expensive signing Sandra Tonali 55 million AC Milan to Newcastle Lars seems more worryingly sensible work from Eddie Howe here
2: yeah. I mean, I've heard different versions of that transfer fee. It's, it's, it is, it's a bit on the high side, but, but Tonali is a, a very good, he's a very good player. He was often compared to Andrea Perlo because he came through at Brescia and technically very good, can, can pick a pass, likes to sort of ping the ball around in a sort of vaguely pirlo esque manner. But he's a much more rounded player. he gets around the field more, uh, he's quite aggressive, you know, you know, can I think the rough and tumble of the Premier League shouldn't phase him, and yeah, again, if we're thinking, I, I, I hold my hands up, I kind of uh, perhaps unfairly thought that uh, Newcastle would you uh, would fall into the trap that a lot of uh, clubs with sort of new wealth and not a lot of experience of having wealth fall into, which is that they sign players with with big shiny names who are maybe not in the right place of their career for various reasons, Um they haven't done that at all, and in the sense of continuing to build uh, Sandro Tonali makes a lot of sense. I'm curious about the Tonali-Gimaresh partnership. Maybe the idea is that you want Gimarish to... Because Tonali is good as the sort of sitting slightly deeper, but he also can move around and get forward. So a very similar profile to Gimaresh in that that, yeah, positionally, at least. Um, which one of them is given a bit more license to get forward? Interesting to see. James Madison to Spurs, Barry,
3: 40 million. He's so Spurs, isn't he? Yes,
2: absolutely. Um,
3: I think he he looks... He will be to the manner born. He's a terrific player. Look, lads, it's Tottenham. He will probably do well for them. Whether or not Tottenham will do well remains to be seen. I'm quite excited to see how Lange Postacoglu gets on there and uh, that... Spanish chap, uh, Andoni Arola at, at Bournemouth, I think, is also a very exciting managerial appointment. But I yeah, I fully expect Madison to, to do well as a Spurs player, whether or not Spurs do well with him in the team, uh yeah, who is anyone's guess at the moment.
0: Yeah, And did his first press conference, Wilson, yesterday. Um I mean I like the cut of his jib. I think he speaks incredibly well. Obviously he was asked a lot about Harry Kane. Do we what do we do? Sit and wait? discuss whether he should go or shouldn't, discuss whether that means he's worthy of being a footballer if he decides to stay at Tottenham, um, what it means for his actual ambition and whether actually he's a complete fraud, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Who is he going to be playing for this season?
1: I don't know. I, mean, I don't think Bayern will go higher than 70. I think 70 is actually an extraordinary offer. If I were Tottenham, I'd, I'd be taking it. Not just because I think it's good money for him, um, but because you've just brought in a manager who is going to pretty radically change the style of, of how you play, if he's doing that with a player who he knows, well, who's got fairly unique characteristics, if he knows he's likely to be leaving after a year, um, I think that makes that, that process of sort of re-educating the squad that much harder. Also, if Kane leaves, you sort of get you get it done with. You, you're sort of saying, right, this is a new beginning. And that might buy possibly ugly time that... Yeah, if Kane goes and Spurs say I don't know only win four of their first dozen games of the season or something, people will be saying, "Oh well, you know, Kane's gone. They've got to get used to it." Whereas, what you don't want is is Spurs do okay this season, finish sixth or seventh, then Kane leaves, and then they've almost got to start again without Kane next season. So, you either need Kane just to, to to sign a three or four year deal now, or you, you want to get rid of him. I think having him going at the last year of his contract with no no real idea what, what, what his future is. I think that just complicates everything for everybody.
0: And it's part of that, Lars, because he, Ange likes to really press, and actually Richarlison is probably better at pressing, probably better at any other bit of football than Kane, but like he's better at that. Or do you not share Wilson's
2: view? I, I don't know. I think there is, it's a complicated thing, because you have to factor in, like if they sell Harry Kane, that there are odds of, of Making top four under any kind of circumstances this year drops to well not zero but not very far away from that. You should think. I mean, you have to have miraculous things would have to happen. So you you need a price tag that kind of reflects that, I guess. And also, you're talking about like selling. Ar- arguably, I mean, I know you get recency bias and stuff. He's he's there, he, one of if not the best player of the club's history. It's, it's a big big thing to do. It needs to be an absurd number, even if it's the last year of the contract. Because if you let the contract run out, at least it's Harry Kane's fault that he's leaving. It's it's Mm. in, you know, we did everything to keep Harry here. Harry has decided to leave us. I think that's politically more um, expedient. I'm also not convinced Ansh Postokoglu is sat here thinking about anything to do with the year from now. I think he knows well enough what he's walking into here. You know, w- will I be doing well enough that people aren't calling for my head in three months? I mean, he's probably not thinking like that, but that's his reality. And will Harry Kane help him more to survive the first six months as head of Tottenham than Richarlison could up front? I think probably yes. And Harry Kane, to his credit, has proven, you know, we know he wants to leave Tottenham. He, he said that like two summers ago when he was like titting about on a golf course with Gary Neville talking about wanting to play with Kevin De Bruyne before the season was over by the way i thought that was a very strange move but yeah he, he made it very clear that he doesn't want to be at the club but he still got his head down and produced two brilliant seasons so they know they can say no we're not selling you you can go next summer if that's what you want but we're not selling you and you will get you know maximum effort for him for another 12 months and that might be worth 60 70 million uh, euros pounds whatever for the club
0: Harvey says, is the British media making too much slash not enough of England's under-21 win? Uh, Dan, how many of the England under-21 winning team will eventually play for Sunderland? Um, Barry, a new golden generation have arrived to save this fine country.
3: Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I mean, it could be argued that some of England's best under-21s didn't actually play in that, that tournament and weren't in the squad for various reasons. Obviously, winning any tournament is is excellent. I think the media made about as much of it as I would have expected. The thing is, it wasn't on television in, in the UK, so we couldn't really get into the tournament. You know, The only game I saw was the final, and it wasn't a particularly great final. Uh, but England... Did just about enough to get over the line and win, uh, so fair play to them uh, but yeah I, I do think the fact that it wasn't televised in the UK, I'm not sure why it wasn't televised but it wasn't meant we didn't sort of gradually get into it and, and England fans didn't get particularly excited about it because I'd say a lot of them weren't even aware it was on um, I think there
1: was very few journalists went there as well which is partly because the season it has been so long everybody's just stopped and you know, down tools for a couple of weeks but partly because it's in Georgia it's a much bigger commitment to go to Georgia to cover it than popping over to the Netherlands or France or Spain or something so I think that, you know, that's another reason why it didn't really get the, the coverage who, who of those players
0: Wilson do you reckon could make England's Euro squad ne- next year? Morgan Gibbs-White Cole Will, Taylor Harwood Bellis who I confess I didn't know who he played for and then obviously he plays for Manchester City like everybody uh, until they get sold.
3: Well, he's been on loan at a couple of championship clubs over the past two seasons and played quite regularly for those clubs.
1: Colwell, I think definitely, if he plays regularly for Chelsea. I think that's... Um, yeah. You know, England have an obvious issue at centre-back, uh, which he could, could help solve. Very good on the ball as well, which which helps. Yeah, you know, He had a very good season for, for Brighton last season. So I think yeah, you know, he would be an obvious one, I, I guess... The midfield's not overstocked. to Curtis Jones, maybe Gibbs White. I don't know. England have a lot of that type of attacking, you know, not not quite true centre forward, but but yeah, very forward-minded player. So I think we'd need a couple of injuries for him to have an ex- exceptional season. Madueke maybe if he if he gets a starting berth for Chelsea, does really well, but maybe a bit early for him. But Cole would seem to be the obvious one.
0: Um, and look, we should mention ours James Trafford, who saved that penalty in injury ties, a great moment, he's off to Burnley, and and actually, you know, Burnley don't play the football that in your mind you think Burnley play now, and that'll be interesting to see how he how he gets on.
2: Makes sense, I think, to go from uh, from the Man City Academy to to Burnley, and, and I mean that because, you know, of course, Burnley coached by, by Vincent Kompany now, who's turned them into a, a ball-playing outfit and a... Bizarrely short. I mean, there was just immediately that that worked straight off from the bat in the championship, which which kind of melted my brain a little bit because I didn't see that coming at all. Maybe he's gone there, uh, presumably to be their first choice goalkeeper this season. So it's a good move for him. And and you joke about uh, Taylor Howard Ellis playing for Man City, but I guess that's the sort of thing with some of these guys. I mean, they're going to have to find other places to to, to go because City have spent a lot of resources on. Building up this brilliant academy and bringing very very good young players into that academy. Of course, getting into the first team at City is almost impossible. I mean, to their credit, they do make an effort to integrate the young players, but uh, in in the end, I think that the the most of them are going to have to, to. There are too many good players in that academy, as as we can see from where they're in the opposite. Not all of them can go to Southampton, but a fair few apparently can. Perhaps uh, the, the Burnley is a logical place for for the other ones to end up.
0: Yeah, and well done to Lee Carsley. Um and England didn't concede a goal in that tournament. I mean, it'd be interesting to see, you know, it's, it wouldn't be stupid, Barry, to say, listen, if Southgate goes, you can do this. You've taken an England team. You know these young players. But I couldn't, I couldn't see that happening.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, did we see Southgate getting a similar promotion? Mm. Uh, he, he got it because Sam Allardyce got caught in that sting. It's worked out well with Southgate. He was promoted and, and everyone seems quite happy with, with the work he's done. I don't know if they do the same with
1: Carsley.
0: With I mean, I guess Southgate has more of a history of, play, you know, Southgate had that sort of England history that Lee Carsley definitely didn't.
1: Well, and did he managed Middlesbrough as well.
0: That is true. Is that, does that help a bit?
1: Yeah, because, I, I mean, ultimately they got relegated, but he kept them up for three seasons. So there's a, a spell at Middlesbrough and he was do, doing a very good job.
2: I'd like to know how Barry would feel about uh, a guy who's played uh, was it 40 caps for Ireland b- becoming the England manager. Would you feel especially proud about that? I wouldn't have any problem with it. I don't. I don't think he would
3: get the job. I think people would be largely underwhelmed by such an appointment. But,
1: but, but surely Barry, you would support an England team managed by an Ireland national featuring Declan Rice, Jack Greenish, <laughs> Harry Kane. <laughs> Why don't we just call them the Republic of <laughs> Ireland and be done with it?
0: Uh, Lars, PSG have bought a lot of players. Garte's come in, Hernandez, Asensio, Skriniar, amongst others. None of them are making as many headlines as Kylian Mbappé. Um, Alan says, isn't Mbappé worth it? And, I mean, and by I mean the cost, the disruption, the publicity, there seem to be endless rounds of negotiation. Great player, but even still worth it. Explain what's happened.
2: Well, he's he's given an interview where he's spoken about you know the 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 trials and tribulations of being Kylian Mbappé and playing for this this puny little club, and it's very hard for him to win the Ballon d'Or. You have to understand in uh, a club that's such a such a mess as PSG. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but it's more or less what he said. It was a very divisive club, he said in public. I wonder because I also had this moment. Kylian Mbappé is obviously brilliant, uh, one of the best, if not if not the best player in the world, but. I think it was last autumn when he'd very recently, just a couple of months ago, signed this just unfeasibly large deal. And they threw just all the money at him to to stay at Paris Saint Germain. A few months later, like it sort of emerges from reputed credible sources that he's like unhappy because he wants to play with a striker who's tall like Giroud. I was like, oh my god, this guy! Like, there's <laughs> the amount of whinging you you hear from this fella. Just, just get to work. Just do your job but i also do wonder if there's an element of because he doesn't want to be there i think we all understand like he shouldn't be at paris it's a waste of his time at this point he wants to be recognized as the greatest player in the world and that's not going to happen at paris so so you need to move on and maybe if he went i wonder if there would be this amount of complaints and drama and stuff if he went to real madrid or if he would just get on with his job to a slightly greater extent there
1: i i may just i think He's just, you know, he's stagnating. He's, he's, he's not as good a player as he should be at this stage of his career, given his obvious talent. Um, and I think he's an incredibly lazy player. You know, he, he, he plays in a very old-fashioned way that he he hangs about and he scores goals. And, you know, that gets him the golden boot at the World Cup and scores a hat-trick in the final. And, you know, you sort of think, oh, he scored a hat-trick in the final. He's incredibly unlucky not to win the World Cup again. But maybe if he'd actually done a little bit of defending, then they wouldn't have been battered in the first half of that game. So
0: does he need a manager, you know, like you know i don't know klopp had brilliant attacking players like mané and Salah, who also defended
1: i mean did you in the world cup do you know what his total of tackle split interceptions was in seven games not not correct i mean you can't you can't play modern football like that like Lionel messi can just about get away with it because he's 30 whatever he was 7 6 36 when he won the world cup but Argentina had to, like every single one of them, had to be 110% motivated to win Messi the World Cup for that to work. In both the semi-final and the final, And Bappe had to be moved off the left where he prefers to play into the middle because of the damage he was doing and not tracking the opposing right back. So it was all that around the quarter-final of Carl Walker did a great job to keep him quiet, which certainly did. But Walker didn't get forward at all. And it is true that the one time he went forward, England did concede. But I think that's... Slightly freakish coincidence. If Walker had called his bluff and got forward more, England would have dominated the ball out of the pitch and France wouldn't have had the chances that they had. And that's how Morocco did it in the semi-final and could easily have nicked that game. It's how Argentina did in the first half, well, the first 70 minutes of the final when they could have been three or four in a look. Yeah, he, he's a brilliant player when he gets the ball, but he does so little without the ball and he whines so much that I, I think he's, he's just a, a lot worse player than his, his skills say he should be. Which is still, to say, a very good player.
3: Do you guys think Luis Enrique is the man to bring harmony to PSG or will <laughs> it spit him out as well?
2: I mean, Luis Enrique is not. This is why that is actually quite a fascinating appointment, right? Because I feel like every summer we have PSG going, well, we're going to stop faffing about now and get serious. Uh, you know, it's not going to be pampered stars. We want to be a proper football team if that was the case, like if this was like a year zero for PSG, we're going to completely change our entire identity. Anyone who doesn't want to work hard, doesn't want to train properly, doesn't want to follow instructions, you can go away. We're just going to build a team around hungry, uh, younger players, maybe some of them French, uh, and you know, really sort of do a thing. Luis Enrique, I think, would be an interesting guy to be in charge of that. But I don't think that's what's happening. Like, I'll believe it when I see it. I mean, the, the question around is, can Luis Enrique be a sort of... a uh, Ancelotti character who has the sort of fingerspitzky feel to keep all these sort of pampered egos happy and make the team work, not sure about that at all because I mean we should have Sid here to talk about him in depth at some point, but by all accounts, he's a very uncompromising character who's you know wants to do things his way and is not afraid to throw his weight around, so that should be fun i mean i i I'm, I'm going to get the popcorn ready for this. I mean it should be good.
3: He's also quite eccentric, isn't he, like during the World Cup, he was on Twitch every night doing these rambling mo- piss-takey monologues and stuff which I think a lot of Spanish people didn't appreciate. Was he what, was
0: he on Twitch don't you like go and play Call of Duty and people watch you? Is that what Luis Enrique was doing? He was playing I don't think he was Rainbow, Call Island, of Duty Rainbow or... Islands or Lemmings yeah. 2 and just But so he things.
3: was very, sitting in a gamer's chair and uh just waxing lyrical on Various subjects that took his fancy. Oh, fair enough. Um, I mean, Matt, that's why uh,
2: Spain didn't do that well at the World <laughs> Cup because the coach was like hooked on Escape from Tarkov and was like sort of <laughs> running around trying to. Yeah.
0: He was knackered. He'd been t- playing too much frack. Um anyway, uh, next week we're going to do a Women's World Cup preview show. Our sister podcast the Guardian Women's Football Weekly is going to take the lead on the tournament as it should. We're going to drop a few of those pods into our feed. We'll of course cover it over the next few weeks before we're back to uh, three pods a week at the start of August. That'll do for part 2. Part 3 will begin with the Saudi League. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Um, Stephen says, why do you think everyone's so apathetic towards all these players and managers moving to Saudi? Do you think we're just moving to a level of acceptance of them buying football? So Ronaldo obviously went last year, Benzema's gone, Kante, Ruben Neves, uh, Koulibaly, Mendy, Brozovic, Firmino, Stevie G has gone there too. Um, loads of rumours about other players going and, and managers and coaches as well. And it's not just 35-year-olds. What? How, how are we meant to feel about this, Wilson,
1: um well, it's a bit different to a club in your own league because I guess you sort of think players have agency, they can make their own decision and you know it it feels less sort of invasive to to a fan of, of, of a Premier League. But it's it's not a good thing. Um and I guess what's interesting is is this just you know, another China where they, they try and give a league credibility by signing lots of well known names and then eventually it sort of runs out of steam? Or do the Saudis actually have so much cash they can keep signing players until the league gets the credibility that they start signing players at, at the at the peak of their careers? And you you you, you know you wonder what the the long term goal is. are they are they trying to raise a, the level of the Saudi league so they can compete more in the Asian Champions League and the Club World Cup, or is there sort of a thought of actually you know we could be eventually. Looking to join the the Champions League, and it, yeah, my, my suspicion is in the the very long term goal is is that. From what I understand,
0: yeah, yeah, they they the, the China comparison isn't perhaps that good because the the money is is limitless, and what they're spending on football is sort of actually sort of virtually is peanuts compared to say what they're spending on building that massive city, uh, neon is it called, sort of down at the bottom of Saudi Arabia, a big, long, sort of oblong city.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, that, 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 that's the point. It, 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 the China could only sustain the losses for so long. Do, are the Saudis actually willing to keep sustaining them to the point where it gains credibility? that Initially, it looks like you know, the, the China project of, of offering a, a final pay packet for ageing players or, or sort, of, sort of players who maybe aren't quite the elite level in the late 20s or people like Oscar who, who sort of gets seduced by the, by the money. And will it fizzle out? But they—they they clearly do have more money. It's just whether the Saudi state is prepared to keep sustaining those losses and, and for how long. And the
0: Saudi league actually has much more history than the, the Chinese league as well. You know, it's—they've it, performed well in the Asian Champions League before this all happened, haven't
1: they? Saudi Arabia is a, I mean, for one of a better phrase—is a proper football country. I mean, they won—they won, they won the Asian Cup twice in the 90s I think they've won it, or maybe even three times in a row. They, I think they've won it three times. So I, I remember I was in uh, Sidon in Lebanon in 2000 when they played Japan in their first group game in the Asian Cup and it was seen as being this is this is the clash of the two favourites. And Japan, I think, went four and up by half-time. It was an amazing night. There was uh, Sidon's; a, it's, it's an old Crusader place. It was like, the, the stadium backs onto the sea and there's a Crusader fort just to the just so the, as you sit in the press box, because you say the fourth down to the right, that main stand is much bigger than the other three stands. You can see right across to the Becca Valley. So there was, there, was, there was a thunderstorm over the Becca Valley. So you had this incredible landscape and the, the sky was like purple and you know, lightning flashes and there was a, um, a fairground. So you had this Ferris wheel as well. And then watching this sort of apocalyptic defeat for Saudi Arabia, who then, they sacked, they had a Serbian coach, was, he, was it Machala? They sacked immediately, and then they, they did sort of recover to get to the final where Japan beat them um, one nil, but that was sort of seen as being this is the moment at which a balance of power in, in Asian football shifts from west to east. So the Saudis do my, my the point I started with about two hours like, sort of ago. I don't ago. He still us, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you painted a lovely picture. <laughs> the Saudis, the Saudis were the sort of the, the leading power in Asian football. Were you going to watch it, Barry? Uh, no, probably not
3: because I won't have time to watch it. I already spend. Loads of time and most of my weekends watching football, and uh, the Saudi League will be very low down my list of priorities. I don't know if it'll even be available to view, but uh, no, I won't be rushing. to I might, you know, watch a game or two out of interest to see what the standard is like. But because um, I don't really know what the standard is like, I've read like it's League Two standards, so which seems I, I thought it would be better. But uh, I suppose I'll have to watch a game or two to find out for myself. Um, and should we judge players,
0: Lars, for for taking the money?
2: Oh no, I've thought about this a little bit. It's very easy to turn down money on other people's behalf. <laughs> it's like, oh, you must not take the money. So like you can sit here and say that. It doesn't matter to me. No one's stuck a contract with that many zeros in front of me at any point in my life. And it's very easy to... A climb on top of, of, of your high horse when you've never been in that situation. We had a Norwegian player a couple of years ago who'd had a sort of fairly middling career in the Norwegian league and had like one great season and suddenly he got a, an offer from the Saudi league. And, you know, for him, that would have been pretty life-changing money for him in his career. And I'm not going to judge him from, for going. And I don't know the circumstances of all the players going. There's a side of me that thinks if you have as much money salted away as some of these guys should have, And surely there are other things you can do with your time. But, you know, it's also a lot of money. So it is what it is.
0: Adam says, can you box off the last 20 minutes for Ashes chat instead? Wilson will have plenty to say. And there's not that much football going on. Um, What are your
1: changes for Old Trafford, Uh, Wilson? Any? I think you bring back Anderson for Robinson, depending on Broad's fitness. It brought, it brought, and on Wood's fitness. But Wood, I know, said yesterday he thinks he can play the last two tests. So I think you have to keep and wokes was brilliant. Wokes in. Anderson was brilliant with the ball. What wokes has to yeah. stay in? I, I, I'm g- gives you solidity with the bat. Uh, Robinson was the only one. Yeah, you know, he still took about three wickets in the first innings, so didn't play badly. But if you are going to give Anderson his sort of farewell on his home ground, a ground where he's always bowled well, I think he is the one he misses out. I would prefer folks there. And Bertel's not getting yeah. any runs, right? So 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 Well he, he got he got seventy in the first innings and then he then he started keeping wicket. And it's as if his failures in mm. keeping wicket have have infected his batting. Getting out bold, which was the big problem for him before he sort of reset, that's that's raised his head again. Um you've got the issue of who's gonna bat at three. A Moen seems happy to do it, but didn't I mean I know he, you know he got a good ball in the in the second inning. But so. yeah, you're sort of better sacrificing
0: um, Moen at three and having Brook at five than sacrificing Brook or Root at three, aren't you?
1: Well, you could you could you could ask Root to bat three. Um, Or you you leave out... I mean, you can't leave... You've got to play a spin at Old Trafford, right? You have to. So moen has got to play. And maybe the way you get him in the side is at three, if he's happy to do that.
0: Jim says, How's the social media break going, Max? Are you enjoying the lack of stress it causes? Are you fearful you may have your own Ramos to PSG moment as a result of not being all over the news? (laughs) I do have to look at websites to find out if Cambridge have signed anyone. I have to go to to cambridgeunited.com. It feels so 90s to find out. Uh, It's very relaxing. And I need full disclosure here, Barry, in that, I was going to give my password to my wife, but I've forgotten it. So when a tweet says "on behalf of me," I am writing that, but then I'm logging off straight away. <laughs> so I okay. think that still counts. Uh, Joe says, "Are we going to get a Life and Times of Barry anytime soon?" These two have done it. Troy and Nicky did it.
3: No, nah, if, you, if you, you can't get it on the Moon Underwater podcast, it's there. I've kind of done that interview a few times now. I don't don't want to
0: do it again. And actually, Barry's Moon Underwater is much more interesting than my Moon Underwater, as you would be... (laughs) You won't be surprised to find out. Uh, Monty says, what's good, Hollywood? Which I think is a way of saying hello. Uh, Max was stoked when some Brentford player climbed Mount Fuji. It was actually Arnott Danjuma, but, you know forgive you for that, Uh, instead of just lying about on a sunbed in Dubai. He thought he might like John McGinn's recent post on Instagram about his and his partner's holiday in Africa. So far, they've gone on a safari to see elephants and lions as well as flown over the Victoria Falls in a helicopter. I am impressed uh, at John McGinn. Um uh Ruka, thank you for pointing out this tweet from AFC Whiteleaf. Due to an opposition stag do, we're now looking for a friendly for our first team on Saturday, the 29th of July. Ideally away, steps four to seven would consider playing a higher level under 23s, step one to three. Um, if you are in steps four to seven, uh, let Whiteleaf know. Um, we've had some lovely emails about um, uh, the the podcast we did with Troy and with Nikki. Um, a guy says, I'm an avid listener, but I never write in. I wanted to say, I really enjoyed the recent show exploring Nikki's life. It was quite revealing for me. I remember years ago loving another Bandini's Guardian Italian football blog summing up that week's games. I mean, quite sad when they suddenly left and were replaced by a new correspondent called Nicky. I particularly remember thinking it was surprising she had the same surname, but presumed Bandini was the Italian version of Smith. And thought nothing of it. The blogs were quite good. Seemed to be almost as good as their predecessor, which was impressive as I'd loved those ones. So my ignorance continued right up until I listened to Football Weekly this week. Uh, I don't care about a journalist's background or personal life, only what they write about football. Um, Still, it was great to hear about Nicky's experiences and finally to understand um that those two bandinis are one and the same keep up the good work chris says as a parent of a soon-to-be 16 year old trans kid it made me think of other things that had gone through my kid's mind before he made the decision although i know each journey is unique and different we're four years in and while there's a long road ahead it's uh it's all good so thank you um uh, peter says just wanted to thank you and nikki for your recent podcast about nikki's life fascinating uh, powerful and enlightening in so many ways hope it will open many minds and hearts um thanks also for mentioning my tweet about nikki's time spent doing work experience at the leamington courier i appreciate it's a minor part in nikki's life don't put yourself down peter but i was the news editor at the time it's been wonderful to see her flourish since uh, in case she's interested i've attached a pdf of the feature she was meant that was mentioned on the podcast about mp3s in 2006 uh, feel free to pass it on if she's after any souvenirs from that time Um, And this is from Kevin, who says, um, Dear Max, Barry and the gang, especially Troy and Nikki, um, it's not so important that this get read on air uh, as it is that it gets said, let's say non vasectomy related, but medical as the classification. Uh, Recently, I found myself in ICU in a rather bad state. Uh, due to diabetes and things were touch and go for a bit. While there, I realised I'd missed the Troy Townsend episode and the the Nikki Bandini episode had just dropped. Literally not knowing whether I was in my last weeks traipsing the planet, I found great comfort listening to their stories. Troy's I didn't know as well and Nikki's I knew mainly through the pod and reading her stories in The Guardian. However, in those dark moments, their courage and grace spoke to me again and gave me some courage to face my own mortality with what I can only hope was the same grace as they've demonstrated. The pod is so much more than football. It is inspirational and it is humour and it is hopeful. Thank you again to all. I'm a long-time listener who, after some positive results, hope to continue that listening for a long time as the road to recovery looks doable now. Thank you for being Voices of Light and Hope in a Dark Place from Kevin in Little Rock in Arkansas. Thank you, Kevin. We obviously uh, wish you all well and finally from matt in sheffield who says hi max and barry long time listener love the pod thanks for all the work you do hearing troy on the recent pod was uplifting moving helped remind me of my privilege as a middle-class white man and was a really edifying experience i'm therefore incredibly disappointed in myself as the entire purpose of me taking the time to write to you is to share with you a picture of sean dyche in a hat at glastonbury big man going soft thanks again for all the content i can't remember when we got onto sean dyche hating hats
2: um, I think that was me. Winter, I think because I've noticed that he he has said something about just banning hats at clubs. And I didn't, I, I followed, I paid very close attention to this when he came in at Everton because it was in the middle of winter. And in all the training folks, well, certainly for the first week, I could see there were no hats in sight. So he seems to be, you know, tough on hats, tough on the causes of hats. But, but the fact that Unless he's it's Glasgow, now been he's wearing at, a bucket hat, bucket hat at Glasgow, that yeah. changes everything. But
1: is there is surely a difference between. There's a difference between hats you wear to keep off the cold and hats you wear to keep off the sun. Sean Dice is ginger. He needs all the protection from the sun. He can get... True.
0: The heat loss is fine.
2: These people would not do well in Scandinavia in the winter, I'll tell you.
0: No, no. Anyway, no, you you make a good point, and Sean Dice can remain as anti-winter hat. As possible.
2: And pro frostbite of the ears. <laughs> That'll
0: do for today. Cheers, Wilson. Cheers, thank you. Uh, thank you, Lars. Anytime, Max. Thanks, Barry. Thank you. Football Weekly was produced by Daniel Stevens with Silas Gray. Our executive producer is Max Anderson We'll be back, I think, next week at some point. Oh, yeah, next week uh, for a Women's World Cup preview.
3: This is The Guardian.